Greetings and welcome to Shnayim Mikra, the podcast series developed and sponsored by the Orthodox Union, hosted right here at OU.org. In each one of these podcasts, we read, translate, study, analyze, and discuss one of the aliyot of the current week's parasha. My name is Yitzhak Et Shalom, and I am delighted and honored to be studying parasha Ta'azinu with you this week. Uh, and uh, they, my standard introduction to the Shnayim Mikra series is one that really needs a little bit of a nuance when it comes to Parashat Hazinu. As I mentioned in the first podcast, Hazinu may be the most central parsha that we have in the Torah. It is certainly one of the most inscrutable ones, difficult ones for us to understand, uh, as it is all written in poetry. It gives us a great opportunity to investigate the way that biblical poetry works, and we began with some of that investigation in the uh, first podcast. We'll continue with more of it in future podcasts. Today we're going to look not only at the second Aliyah, as promised, but also at some of the uh, liturgical and halachic implications of that uh, of that uh, Shira. Uh, beginning in Pasuk Zion, after we have the first six Pasukim, which really form a unit of some admonition, but really of an introduction of the song uh, and of the poem. <clears throat> uh, now in Pasuk Zion, Zechor Yimot Olam Binu Shnot Dor Vador Sha'al Avicha V'yagedecha Zekenecha V'yom Rulach Literally, remember the days of old, uh, understand the years of generations, Ask your father and he'll tell you, your elders, and they will relate it to you. This is now stage two. Stage one was really an introduction and establishing the bond between the just God and the suffering people because of their own wrongdoings. Now Moshe turns to the people and says, you need to take a history lesson. You have to look at the history of the world and the history of Kal Yisrael to understand why you are in the mess you are in. Because remember, Shirat Zinu, although it's part of the Torah that we read every year, was intended to be a rebuke and a reminder that everyone would have when they were in terrible trouble so that they would realize why they were there. And continuing on with this theme, and parenthetically, the passage is one of the sources that is used to justify uh, the the understanding that there is a Torah command to listen to the rabbinic authorities, and as such, it's entirely appropriate to say a bracha, asher kiddushanu mitzvotav, you, God, have sanctified us and command us, commanded us, even when we're fulfilling a mitzvah that is rabbinically ordained, because God commanded us to listen to them, and one of the source texts for that, as brought in Mara Shabbat, is, uh, is, uh, Ask your father and he will tell you. In any case, when the Almighty gave out portions to all the nations, when he separated people around their world, and the idea is this is after the flood, he established the borders of nations according to the number of Bnei Israel. And the simplest read of this, although none of this is simple, is to say that the Mispar B'nai Israel here does not refer to 12, but rather to 70. That very special number that is mentioned 
both in Bereshit and in Shemot, when it describes the Yaakov's family coming down to Egypt, although the number is a bit inexact, and also when Moshe, in Sefer Dvarim, uh, chapter 10, verse 22, relates to the people the great wonders that have happened. He says, B'shiva'im nefesh your ancestors went down to Egypt as 70 people, and now you're a huge nation. And the idea, if you count, after the flood, in chapters 10, really chapter 10 of Breshit, you can see that there are 70 nations that come up from the three families of the children of Noah, Shem and Ham and Yefet, total of 70 nations that correspond to the 70, or the Bnei Yisrael correspond to those 70 nations. Why is this the case? Ki chelek Adonai Amo Yaakov Nachlato. That Hashem's nation is part of him, and Yaakov is his inheritance, meaning that Am Yisrael has this very special, close relationship with God that is unique, and that is intimate, and that is exclusive. And as a result of that, Am Yisrael is a microcosm of the rest of the world, and therefore the 70 that are the core of Bnei Yisrael represent the 70 nations. Now what did God do? He found them in a, in a desolate land. Where, where are we referring to? So one way to read this is as a reference to Avraham, who was found in a theological wilderness. Second one, which is far more, far closer to Pshat, is a reference to Bnei Israel in the desert. A third possibility is the Midbar of Mitzrayim, uh, of course, the Midbar on a political level because of being enslaved. We'll read it as the simplest one, which is he found them in the desert, Uvetohu Yilel Yishimon, and in a desolate wilderness he found them, Yisovavenhu Yivonanehu, he surrounded them and protected them, Yitzirenu Kishon Eno. And he, and he, uh, protected them like the apple of his eye. Now, this, again, may be a reference to the desert, and it's uh, later echoed in the famous passages in Yechezkel Tetzayin, Yechezkel 16, which refer to the relationship between God and the Jewish people when he first takes them as a man finding a young girl in the desert, alone, orphaned, uh, just born, and he takes care of her, and he swaddles her, etc., etc. Kinesher Ya'ir Kino. Just like an eagle who comes to take care of his nest, Al Gozalav Yirachef, and he hovers over his chicks, Yifros Kenafav Yikachehu, he spreads his wings and takes them, Yisaehu Alevrato, and he lifts them on himself, meaning the eagle lifts, lift, lifts his young on top of him, because he, uh, because, to protect them and to, and to have them fly. <clears throat> and that's the way that God took us. Now, this reference seems to take us back to the last interpretation we gave to the, to Pasukiod, which is that the desert here really is Egypt. Because as God says in, uh, in Shemot 19, uh, I lifted you on wings of eagles and brought you to here. So the Yitzhak Mitzrayim is described that way. Several ways we can look at it, and that's the magic of Shira, which we'll talk about in the next couple of podcasts. The end of this piece is, Adonai Badad Yanchenu, God will have them sit or camp alone, el and they have no other God with them, meaning no other power, which is with them, only God, and they dwell alone, and they don't mix with the other nation. And that is the end of that Aliyah.
Now, uh, Mahazino, as I mentioned, is unique in several ways. Uh, another way in which it's unique is the division that we have in of the Aliyot. So a couple words about Aliyot. We have to recall that although our standard practice has very clear demarcations of where the first Aliyah ends, and we've been following that in this entire series, the second Aliyah ends, and there's a few places where Chumashim have it printed in different uh, places, notably in Parsha Truma. Um, but uh, for the most part, Almost all aliyot are fairly fixed. However, that's not the way it always was. There are certain rules about aliyot. You have to read at least three psukim. You cannot read less than three psukim into a parsha. You can't leave less than three psukim left in a parsha. Uh, the extended discussion towards the end of Masachat Megillah about that. You can't begin an aliyah with words of uh, admonishment or punishment. You can't end an aliyah like that, etc. But where you end, where you begin, very much up to the Balkriya. And uh, this is practiced to this day in some communities where they have many more than the minimum of seven aliyot on a Shabbat morning and where they read a few psukim, call the next person up, and he reads the next few psukim. This is, of course, only in Edota Mizrach in the eastern communities where the person getting the aliyah does his own reading. In any case, even in the Ashkenazi communities where they will, in some cases, have hosafot and add on to the aliyot, Somewhere towards the end of the parsha, they'll start cutting into smaller pieces, and everybody gets three, four psukim, and they'll read so they can add more, usually for a simcha, something like that. However, the aliyot of parshat hazino are absolutely hardwired, and they're hardwired from the get-go. And the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah tells us the following thing: on daf lamed aleph lamed aleph, and it starts really not with an issue of aliyot, but it starts with um, the issue of Shir Shalyom, the psalm that was sung by the Levim in the Mikdash. And we find out what the different songs are. Of course, the famous Mishnah Tamid, the song that was sung on the first day and the second day, etc. And on Shabbat is Mitzvah Shalyom Shabbat. And the Gemara asks, What did the Levim sing with the Korban Musaf? You have to remember, the Shir Shalyom always accompanied the Korban Tamid which is why many communities say the Shir Shalyom after Shachrit, even if there's a Musaf. But what would they say with the Musaf? Amarav Ananbarav Amarav Haziv Lach. What's Haziv Lach? Haziv Lach is Parshat Hazinu divided into six portions. The song is divided into six portions. And uh, those six portions have the mnemonic of Haziv Lach, meaning and take a look at Tosfot here. Ha'azinu is, is the hey Zachor, which is the Aliyah we just read. Starting with Pasuk Zion. That's the Zion. Yarkivehu, that's the one we're going to read in the next podcast. Yod. Vayar Adonai Vaynatz, that's the Vav. Lulei, and then Kiyadin. And, um, and the Tosfot points out that that's our custom indeed in the Beit Knesset also. So what was the custom in the Beit HaMikdash? The Levim would read over the course of six weeks, meaning they would chant or sing Ha'azinu, first Aliyah, the first week of the cycle. The next week they would chant Zechor Yavot Olam, and they would continue on, and after six weeks they would complete it, and then they would go back and start again. And the Rambam rules that way in Hilchot Musafin, Perak Vav, where he says exactly what I just described for you, and he says the same way that we read it in Beit HaKnesset, as the Gemara says, 
כדרך שהחלוקים כאן, כך חלוקן בבית הכנסת, same division we have in the Beit HaMikdash is the same division we have in the Beit Knesset, and indeed there really is no deviation from that among any groups, nor do we ever have the possibility of having extra aliyot, at least not within these first six, uh, six out of the seven aliyot in Ha'azinu. Now what's that all about? And why was this song, Ha'azinu, chosen to be the song that accompanies the Korban Musaf on Shabbat? So I'd like to propose the following. Hashirat Ha'azinu has within it uh, a very powerful emotional dichotomy. And that is that, as we just saw in this Aliyah, and we saw also the first Aliyah, Hazinu, the foundation of Hazinu is that there is an intimate, close relationship between God and the Jewish people that he has with no other people. However, remember, the context of Hazinu is that it's to be sung at a point in history when we are ter- suffering terribly, and we need to remind ourselves why we got ourselves into this mess. It's not that God doesn't care about us. It's not that God has abandoned us or forgotten us. It's because we have done wrong. Our moral compass has gone askew, and we have followed it uh, in a bad way. What does this have to do with Shabbat? And why would this be sung in the Beit HaMikdash of Shabbat? I'd like to suggest that Shabbat itself is a day which represents and exemplifies the unique, intimate relationship B'nai Yisrael have with HaKadosh Baruch. That's why the Gemara says, Goy Shabbat Chayav Mita. A non-Jew is not allowed to keep Shabbat. That's why Shabbat is called an Oti Beni Uvein Bnei Yisrael. It's a sign between me and the Jewish people, God says. It's a unique, intimate, exclusive time where God and the Jewish people meet and the rest of the world is in the background. As such, the, the unique relationship that we have with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that defines the greatness when we are doing well and also defines the suffering that happens when we when we go away from the mark is uh, is what Shirat Hazinu is all about, and therefore there is no more appropriate time for it to be sung than on Shabbat, and that's why it was sung every Shabbat by the Levim in this cycle. And as we will see over the course of the next few podcasts, every one of the Aliyot is not just an arbitrary marker Hazivlach six Sukim six Sukim etc., but each one of the Aliyot has a unique theme and is a stage in this particular song. And we will discover more of that as we move along, but at this point we will pause and pick it up in the next podcast. We should have a wonderful